This is a special edition of the Citizen of Heaven podcast. I'm Hal Hammond, Citizen of Heaven, your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for listening, sharing, and subscribing. I took the time to connect with my followers on Facebook and talk for a bit about the books I've been reading this year. It's halfway through my biggest reading year ever, and there's no way I will ever be able to discuss all of these books on the podcast. So I thought I would put together a few top 10 lists of what I've gotten through so far in 2023. On the spur of the moment, I decided to share the list here on the podcast. These are the most thought-provoking books I have read this year. My reading schedule has kind of blown up this year. It blew up last year, I thought. I read 36 books last year, the first time I'd ever counted, but I'm quite sure that's more than I've ever read. This year, I am well into my 40s, close to 50 books already this year. I don't say that to brag. I'm just saying that that my interests have broadened considerably, and there's no way that I'm going to be able to cover all of these books in the podcast. I was looking at the things that I've read and tried to break down a few of them uh, based on the the good ones, the not-quite-so-good ones, the uh, surprising ones, and the uh, the thought-provoking ones, which we're going to be talking about today. There's no overlap between these. I'm going to try to do the other three lists later on. Uh, not included, by the way, in the list is uh, In God We Trust by Adam Shanks, Trusting God With Your Finances. Uh, I know Adam, and so it's not maybe fair t- for me to include uh, his book, on the list, but I do want to give a shout out to him because the book is outstanding. If you have money problems, if you have children who you may think are going to have money problems in the near future, uh, this is a a very practical, very comprehensive look at finances and, and especially our use of our finances in spiritual ways, how we can serve God effectively in our lives through our money. This is a a gift that he has given to us, and we need to be responsible in it. Uh, He says on the back, where your treasure is matters. And that's true. If you uh, are responsible in your money, that's showing that you are responsible in other things, or at least potentially responsible. And if not, then not. So uh, let's take our things seriously. If you are having money problems, if you're about to send somebody off to college, if you have high schoolers, if uh, you're having trouble balancing your checkbook, whatever it happens to be, In God We Trust by Adam Shanks is a, is a terrific read. Not going to make one of my lists, but that's not because I didn't like it. What I would like to do is, is talk about, and this is in no particular order, by the way, uh, 10 of the books that really grabbed my attention and caused me to think uh, a fair amount here today. One is The Passion Generation by Grant Skelton, and uh, this is a real a real head scratcher for me. In fact, when I was thinking about books that made me think this is the first one that I thought of because uh, the passion generation is, uh, is an effort to try to get people like me to connect with younger generations, uh, millennials or Gen X, Gen Z, whatever. It seems like everybody's younger than me these days. Uh, At any rate, it's very easy for people in my situation to say that uh, we have it right. Our perspective is correct in these things. And the younger generation is too shallow or too ignorant or too distracted or too whatever to, uh, to get engaged in serious things. And they need to come and meet us. And there is absolutely a point to be made with regard to that. But if that doesn't work, have we really accomplished very much? Is there a way for us to meet the younger generation where they are. And, and like I said, this is a real struggle for me because 
I am a a believer in doing things the right way, and I'm not a fan of pandering. I don't like catering to the lowest common denominator and things like that. And yet, I want to be effective. I want to communicate in a way that is going to work, whether the person is 8 or 18 or 80. And so the Passion Generation has done a good job of of helping me reorient my thoughts. I'm not sure I'm changing anything yet, uh, but uh, but it's given me a lot to think about. I may have to go back and read it again before too long. Passion Generation by Grant Skelton is a, a good way of looking at how to uh, connect or why we're not connecting, if you prefer, with uh, the younger generation. Futureville by Sky Jathani is, uh, is another one that has caused me to, to think a fair amount here. Futureville challenges my way of thinking with regard to how I look at the world and how I look at my role in the world. And, and there, there, there's a lot in the book, and it's, it's really quite an interesting read. But uh, one point that he made that really stuck with me was in trying to classify the different ways of looking at the future, looking at Christians' role in society while we we're preparing for the future. And there is one classification that I think he called escapists, who are basically quitting. They're, they're quitters, what it boils down to. They are Christians who have said the world is lost and there's nothing we can do about that. And so basically we're just kind of hanging on by our fingernails until heaven comes. And I don't think that that characterizes me uh, very effectively. I think that I might be the kind of person that he's thinking of, though, as far as engaging the world and the world's problems and that sort of thing. I have a, a very spiritual view of the kingdom. I don't think that it is our role to to minister on a carnal level to a carnal world. Uh, at the same time, completely detaching ourselves from modern society doesn't make a lot of sense. We are salt in the earth. We're light in the world, or supposed to be at least. Uh, surely there is an active role for us to play while engaging with a world that is subpar, a world that is toxic to us. There are things that we can do that we should do, that we must do as Christians in a sinful world. No Safe Spaces, by uh, edited by Dennis Prager and Mark Joseph, the text says many of the chapters in this book have uh, extra essays by guests, including the uh, Adam Carolla, who wrote the foreword also, for this, Adam Carolla and and Dennis Prager did the Note Safe Spaces tour. I think it's been made into a, a feature length film now. And the idea of of going to colleges and meeting with protests from people who don't want to have their minds engaged, who don't want to hear different points of view, who in fact are going to be violent in their opposition of such things, is the exact opposite of what college used to be all about. I really enjoyed exposing myself to different points of view, different thoughts, etc. when I went to college back in the 1800s. But uh, that's not the case anymore. And it's gotten to the point where Comedians, especially speakers in general, but comedians in particular, are uh, are shunning campuses because it's just it's just toxic. It's dangerous, quite frankly, uh, to go there. Anyway, uh, no Sp- safe spaces is a good summation of the problems that we are running into on college campuses and other places too, with regard to free speech. Uh, free speech is at the core of our of our society, the the First Amendment and all that. I think that we are very blessed to have that, and let's not throw it away in our efforts to try to preserve our feelings or such things as that. 
Uh, this is a, an interesting one, and and again, an indication that I don't necessarily read 600-page tomes uh, every single time. Uh, this is a 100-page essay entitled An Expensive Way to Make Bad People Worse, written by Jans Soaring. I think I'm pronouncing that wrong, but close enough anyway. Jans Soaring, who is German, I believe, and is spending a lot of time in prison. I don't know exactly he's, if he's there for life, but but uh, he wrote this this essay regarding prison reform. And I picked it up and I said, well, obviously this is <laughs> to say that this person has a conflict of interest is, is putting it mildly. And, and obviously he does have a conflict of interest. That doesn't mean that he is, um, that he's wrong. And this is one of the, one of two books that I've read, uh, that have really challenged my thinking with regard to prison. I have, always tended to think that we need to put more people in prison. And I especially think that way when I'm driving, there are plenty of people out there who have no regard for the law, who have no regard for me. And the obvious solution is to take them out of society, which we do in America at an alarming rate. I don't know if you're aware of this. America incarcerates a higher percentage of its citizens by far, by an enormous amount than any other free nation. I think North Korea and maybe Saudi Arabia are ahead of America. That's about it. You can't help thinking something's wrong when you have a situation like that, especially when there is ample evidence that putting people in prison is not fixing the problem and may in fact be making the problem worse and spending an enormous amount of our tax dollars to, uh, to accomplish that. Maybe there's a better way. I don't know what the better way would be necessarily, but uh, I think that Mr. Soaring has some very interesting ideas. And uh, again, very thought-provoking. One of the, the first books that came to mind when I started putting this category together. The End of Faith. I'm going to finish this book today, I think, by Sam Harris. Sam Harris is one of the intellectual dark web people that you uh, run into every once in a while, him and Jordan Peterson and, and uh, Joe Rogan, people like that people who do not necessarily have anything in common philosophically or, or religiously, but who share a passion for free speech and enjoy being around one another and comparing ideas. It's a, uh, it's a healthy exercise, I think, to expose yourself to people who you disagree with and find a way to communicate and to coexist without uh, hating one another, without coming to blows. Sam Harris is a good example of this. Sam Harris is fully convinced that the key to success in our society, the only key, uh, the only successful route is to eliminate religion. To and Christianity, of course, uh, in particular, but not just Christianity. Any kind of of religion is a uh, is a problem and an, a necessary problem. Not just the extremists, any of them, because the existence of the so called moderates necessitates the extremists and empowers the extremists, etc. And of course, there is a great deal of blame to be laid at the feet of religious extremists, including Christians. Over the years, uh, I think that we don't need to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I would say the exact opposite is true of what Mr. Harris thinks. I think that that more religion and more to the point, more Jesus is the key to a an effective society. And you see again the little uh, little tag there. Half price books here in Texas is a huge thing. I'm able to get this one for three dollars, so a great bargain there. Uh, at any rate, in case you're wondering, I'm, I'm going broke here. I'm not, I think I spend an average of $3 and 60 cents for, uh, for books these days, uh, with the, the best numbers that I did. So anyway, 
um, Sam Harris has a lot of very interesting thoughts about about atheism and uh, why he thinks that is the solution. I think he's wrong, obviously, and some of his arguments are are better than others. But uh, certainly, it is the case that a lot of evil has been done in Jesus' name or Muhammad's name or whatever, and uh, we need to avoid the extremes. Nevertheless, uh, I think we can definitely find a way to have Jesus be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. Uh, we do that, by the way, by avoiding horrible, horrific behavior that is done in Jesus' name, that has been done in Jesus' name over the centuries. Um, hope nobody's out there bombing abortion clinics or anything like that. At any rate, uh, The End of Faith by Sam Harris, uh, a very interesting read. I hope to finish that today, and, and maybe uh, that'll pop up in the podcast next week. Uh, Mildred Pierce is one of the three books that is in this compendium from James M. Cain. I think I touched on this in another another context. Mildred Pierce uh, takes up about half of this book. It also includes The Postman Always Rings Twice and Double Indemnity. I uh, knew of all three of these books to one degree or another. I'd never read a James M. Cain book before. Uh, I'll touch on Mildred Pierce especially because Mildred Pierce is a book about a woman who has a daughter, long story short, in in, uh, California in the Depression era. And uh, her daughter is a sociopath, basically. And this woman is consumed with finding a way to provide for her her child. She's essentially in love with her daughter. I don't mean that in a creepy kind of way, but but everything that she does is all about finding a way to provide for this, this teenager who is hateful and sometimes overtly hateful. She cares about absolutely nothing, nothing but herself. I don't know if that's going to be able to fit into some kind of parenting discussion or whatever uh, on the podcast later on, but but the idea of serving and serving and serving at great cost to yourself to uh, an audience that has no interest in you, that has no compassion, no love for you at all, is only serving themselves and is willing to milk you for everything that you're worth. It's a, it's a very interesting read, a rather disturbing read, but nevertheless uh, interesting the uh, movie version made Joan Crawford into a superstar. I think she won the Academy Award for playing the title character in Mildred Pierce back in 1946, I think it was. A very interesting read. Isaac Storm uh, is written by Eric Larson, who is now perhaps my favorite nonfiction writer. Eric Larson also wrote The Devil in the White City, which is a book about the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago. Sorry and the serial killer who was running rampant during that time. Uh, that'll come up in conversation soon, I hope. I'm hoping to do a Chicago episode for too long, and that'll probably make an appearance if that comes together. Isaac's Storm, though, is about Galveston, Texas. It's about the great storm of 1900 and the so-called measures that were taken to protect the uh, the city and the state from this from the storm. What could have been done, what should have been done, what is being done now as a result of the, the horror that came upon the nation. It's a, it's a great story about meteorology in general, about the human condition 100-plus years ago, uh, why the U.S. Weather Service has, has grown the way that it has, and how wonderful it is that we're able to have some measure of expectation, reasonable expectation as to what storms are going to do, what they can do, what they might do uh, later on uh, throughout their uh, throughout history. Hopefully we'll get better and better at this. In the meantime, we're, we're struggling. The power of God in these situations is, is tremendous. Uh, Galveston was practically erased from the map 
because of the storm of 1900 before they knew how to uh, or cared to name hurricanes or even in some situations call them hurricanes. Isaac Storm is a, is a terrific book with regard to that. And we're getting close to the end here. I, these are in no particular order if I didn't say so before. I just picked 10 that, that grabbed my attention. This, there's not going to be any overlap in the other lists. Some, some very, very thought-provoking books are going to be in, in other contexts. East of Eden by John Steinbeck is by far the largest book that I have read this year, uh, 600 pages worth. And considering it's based on a passage in the Bible that's 16 verses long, that's saying something. Uh, humans can embellish on God's word considerably. This is basically the Cain and Abel story, writ very, very, very large. Uh, what happens when you have one brother that is acceptable and one brother that is not? Uh, how do you deal with that? How do you cope with that? Is there a way to adjust? Is there a way to grow? Is there a way to become a good person anyway when it doesn't seem like your father loves you very much? Steinbeck was was not by any means some kind of literalist with regard to the Bible, but he did believe in the Bible. He was a practicing Episcopalian for most or all of his life, and so simply uh, writing off the Bible story is something that shows God to be unfair and unreasonable. Steinbeck wasn't going to do that. Maybe a modern telling of the story might come across that way, but Steinbeck did not do it that way. His point was much more practical than that. How are we going to be as as Cain in the world? How are we going to deal with it when God seems to favor our brother more than, than he favors us? It doesn't seem like it's fair. What are we going to do about this? How are we going to make changes in our lives? Uh, is God really partial? Is he really playing favorites? Uh, there's a lot more to it than that, of course, but but a, a very interesting read, I thought. I thought. Perhaps my favorite Steinbeck book uh, that I've read. I'd never read it before until, until this year. It's his longest book. It was Steinbeck's favorite, for whatever that might be worth. Uh, interesting uh, insights into the Cain and Abel story that, uh, that I found there. That's uh, East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Two more to go. I finished uh, World War Z yesterday. World War Z by Max Brooks is given a lot of credit for the zombie craze. And maybe that's an insensitive way of, of putting it, given the, the nature of zombie stories. But but the zombie craze that has kind of taken over the fiction market and the entertainment market in the last, whatever, 20 years. I think World War Z was written in 2006, something like that. I am planning on doing a month of monsters in October. And zombies seem to be a very appropriate subgenre to get into. And I have no experience with zombies. I don't watch the walking dead. I have no interest in zombies at all. I touched on dead of winter, the board game way back in the very, very early days of the podcast. And I told you then I hate zombies. That has not changed. World War Z did not change my mind with regard to zombies. It's, it's a, a nasty kind of thing. And, and it might be a good opportunity for me to insert here, the nature of fiction books, especially uh, on this list. The, uh, the phrase, Standard caveats apply. I use that a lot, but basically meaning there are going to be things that you find that that are objectionable, that are incorrect, that uh, do not further the cause of faith, etc. World War Z is, is written about war, and the uh, the language of war is is nasty from time to time. And I'm not just talking about the exploding bodies and and gross human remains and it's the, the language itself is, is very offensive in, in many situations. I'm not sanctioning that at all, but it did give me an opportunity to think a lot about 
the human condition in general. It's it's generalized by by people that zombie stories are not about zombies. They are about the people who deal with the zombies. It's about the culture that is infected by zombies. And and I can see that reading World War Z, uh, the idea that uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to quit? Are you going to turn quizzling? The word quizzling comes up a lot. Somehow the human beings actually join the side of the zombies. Why would you do something like that? Uh, are you going to run away? Are you going to fight? Are you going to lead a revolt? Uh, what's your approach going to be? It's written from the standpoint of after the war. The war has been just absolutely horrific, but they have won in the sense that they have survived. And how that came about, how the uh, society managed to to not completely destroy itself is uh, is the topic of World War Z. Uh, definitely something that is that is thought provoking. I wouldn't go so far as to say enjoyed the book. That's that that would be a reach, but uh, but nevertheless, something that has uh, perked my my interest at least. And the last one that I'm going to like to talk about is Holy Roar by Darren uh, Chris Tomlin and Darren Whitehead. Uh, Chris Tomlin, you may know the name uh, if you are into Christian rock, contemporary Christian music. Uh, Chris Tomlin has written some songs that have appeared in some of our our song collections. You may sing one or two of his songs at church, even in a non-instrumental kind of setting. Very popular uh, writer, very popular uh, worship leader, etc. I have my issues, obviously, with Chris Tomlin. Uh, I don't need to get into that. But uh, the point of the book is to look at seven different words in the Hebrew that describe worship. And I had I had no idea about that kind of thing. Uh, he does does not really make much of a case for why this is okay to have a band or why it's okay to have a piano or or soloists or anything like that. That's not the topic of the book. Uh, that's another discussion. But the idea that worship is not unilateral that there are other ways uh, there are a variety of things that we are doing that have that God's people have done in times past emotionally, verbally, etc to approach God. I, I'd never really looked at it that way. And that definitely perked my interest as far as, as the emotional response or the active response or the, the worshipful response, the praising response, et cetera. That's not his, his terminology here. I'm generalizing, but, but uh, the, the idea that worship is more complicated than simply saying, I honor God, I praise him, I worship him, et cetera. Uh, there, it's very nuanced. And and I'm going to go back and look at this again. This is one of the the shorter books that I read uh, this year. I think it's less than 100 pages. At any rate, it was uh, time well spent, and I'm going to continue to go back to that and look at the way that I approach worship. And maybe Mr. Tomlin, although we have our differences, he has something to teach me with regard to those kind of things. Well, that's 10 books. And uh, again, we'll hopefully come back to this this topic in a in the next maybe a week or so, maybe a little less than that, to talk about the uh, books that surprised me this year, have surprised me, uh, books that are that I really, really enjoyed, people, books that I didn't especially enjoy. I, if this is uh, of interest, I think if this grabs, uh, grabs anybody's attention, then hopefully at the end of the year we'll do a, a top 10 for the entire year and uh, sum up all the things that, that we've read here. I hope that you're doing a lot of good reading out there. I hope that you are drawn closer to God uh, through your intellectual pursuits. I'm not suggesting here that reading in and of itself is a spiritual exercise. That's not the case. Reading the Bible isn't necessarily a spiritual exercise as far as that goes. It's your the attitude that you take. But if you want to to grow in your understanding, if you want to grow in your 
ability to impact the world that's around you, to understand the world that's around you and interact with it effectively. A reading is one of the best things you can do as far as that goes. One of the reasons I got into the podcast in the first place was to to challenge myself to read different things and read in different ways. And uh, this year, it's really, really been effective for me. And I'm glad to take a little bit of an opportunity to share that with you and the uh, effect that's having on me. And I hope that's been a blessing to you. If you are, are interested in any of the books that I've mentioned here, uh, don't hesitate to reach out or go to your favorite used bookstore and track it down yourself. Uh, keep reading, especially keep reading your Bible. And I hope that whatever you do in the name of the Lord Jesus, you can draw closer to him and improve your life and improve your faith and draw closer to heaven. Thank you for listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Please rate, review, and share so others can access this content. I encourage you also to join the Heaven Citizens Facebook group. There you will find links to related materials, conversation starters, poll questions, and the occasional special announcement. Also check out the Hal Hammonds channel on YouTube for even more content. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, signing off.